When you're building a culture of belonging, every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. And at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone. Hello, I am super excited because there is just so much to talk about. There is just so much to talk about. And I am just like in total revolutionary mode because I'm just really struggling with the blatant gaslighting. And I'm really struggling with the blatant, um, just like, like that people think that black women are stupid. They think that people don't know how to read or they just want to continue. I don't know, just like with this whole fake thing around DEI and it doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I'm gonna get started, but I wanna just kind of give a little background and intro for people who are joining for the first time. If, you know, this is your first time ever encountering me or ever encountering living corporate network or anything like that, First and foremost, my name is Vonda Page and I'm the Radical Results Mentor for leaders looking to level up and for managers making moves. I'm the CEO of Radical Change, which is a boutique change consultancy and coaching firm specifically dedicated now, focused on alleviating anti-blackness. And I know that that must be done through a few things. Number one, really helping leaders, right, who are really looking to level up, helping them meet the moment at this time. People are literally afraid and are so ill-prepared and do not have the adequate sustainable support systems in order to like really um, make moves on these things that they want to do, especially when it comes to this whole DEI space. And that's why I believe we need to dump DEI and we need to alleviate anti-blackness instead. But I'm going to get to that part in a minute. Um, the other thing is, you know, I have spent more than 30 years, closer to 40 at this point, within corporate and organizational and business structures helping leaders advance their teams and organizations from point A to point B, meaning helping people to adapt change. And going from, you know, uh, 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 what we now kind of call, you know, small business, you know, entrepreneurial type uh, work settings to global corporations, I have seen the trajectory of DEI within the workplace, especially within corporate, academic, nonprofit, and government settings, um, I have seen that literally it's all been smoke and mirrors. And I am going to approve that um, in a series of articles. I'm going to prove it in discussions, but even more so, I prove it in my book that's called um, Dump DEI that I'm going to uh, release early next year. But the whole thing is that, you know, we still have issues and problems, right? We still have things that we have to address. And as a black woman, as a professional in the workplace, 
Um, you know, I have always been at the forefront of trying to remain cognizant and aware of the issues that number one, I'm facing, I'm of course aware of them every damn day, like all black people and especially black women out here, we are in acutely aware of our, of, of, of how the world treats us, no matter what people say, no matter the gaslighting that, that occurs. And so throughout our work experiences, right, we developed uh, as uh, Liam Neeson says in one of his movies, right, a specific particular set of skills, right? And how do we navigate harmful workplaces? Now, nobody should have to navigate a harmful workplace, but let's face it, America, this workplace has been harmful since the Europeans set foot in America. The American workplace has been harmful since Europeans set foot here and decided to make it a workplace instead of a place to live, instead of a place to love, instead of a place to just thrive and be, right? They turned it into a workplace, a workspace, and a brutal, deadly workspace at that. That workspace has never changed. It has evolved technologically, industrially, right? But it has not changed. And the people who are running the workplace now are the descendants of the same people who came over here on the Mayflower and all those other ships that stole African human beings, men, women, children, and, and trans, trans, uh, ported them in bellies of ships, head to toe, tightly packed and didn't care if people lived or died. And to this day, still don't care if people live or die. And so what we have got to talk about when it comes to, right, the experience of black people and black women specifically, is we have to be able to talk about it. And we can talk about it through this lens of DEI because DEI is smoke and mirrors. DEI hasn't worked and we need to dump DEI. And so we can dissect the data because people always want to come at us with data, right? Everyone always wants to say data matters, data matters. Guess what? We have had the data. So I have been in formal roles within the DEI space since 1996. That's 22 years. I'm sorry, 32 years. 32 years. Okay, we know the data. 26 years, I'm sorry, my math is crazy. 26 years, 26 years. We know the data. We have the data, right? And so why haven't we acted on the data? We haven't acted on the data because number one, the people that are running everything are not going to relinquish their power. They are never going to do it. And so any formalized effort with any corporation to make such happen is a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Somebody told me the other day, they call it delusion, distraction, and um something else. I forgot what the E was, but literally like, uh, delusion, illusion, the distraction, illusion, and something else. But literally, it doesn't work, and we know it, and we have the data. And I'm going to prove some data in a second. That's number. That's number one. The other thing is, 
the experience of black people, specifically black women and black and brown professionals in the workplace, right? Up until I would say the last two to three years has really been this undisclosed discussion, right? It's really been this conversation that people don't want to have because people don't want to admit to the issues. People don't want to admit to where we are. People don't want to admit that everybody is climbing over the backs of black women in the workplace and getting ahead, right? So the study that came out a few weeks ago about black women's pay decreasing from 62, 63 cents down to 58 cents, but nobody wants to talk about why that is. When black women are the most educated group of the workforce, black women are the most likely to start their own businesses, but black women are also the most likely, right, to get underrated and undervalued at work. And black women are also the most likely to report uh, that they are unhappy with their promotions and way things are going. Why does that happen? Because if you're the most educated, the most qualified, but everybody around you is getting promoted, you're going to bring up complaints, right? You're going to bring up the egregiousness of that environment and you're going to do something about it, right? And the thing is, when that happens, that's the end of that job. That's the end of that career path within that organization, right? Because I don't know one woman and I'm and 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 I know of, you know, a fictional one, right? Um that was used uh in an amazing book, right? One woman who proved systemic racism and kept her job, right? It's an amazing book called Hush Money by an amazing author named Jackie Abram and her two daughters. And that book is phenomenal. Deborah and Delilah Harris are her co-authors. And it's an award-winning book. It's an international bestseller. It's an amazing book. Get it, get it, get it. Other than that story, I don't know any other stories of people who have complained rightly so, of discrimination, of pay uh, inequity, of issues and problems facing black women. And then those issues were rectified. And then those issues were then rectified throughout the organization. And I challenge anybody listening today in 19, uh, 2022 <laughs> um, or 20 years from now to bring me a copy of a study of a large organization, a publicly traded company, where they were brought a complaint of racism, specific anti-black racism by a black woman, listened to her complaint, took her suggestions and recommendations, and then incorporated them in in internally and then use that as a model to spread that throughout their organization. I challenge anybody to find that story. I've been out here, like I said, for 26 years doing this work and I haven't heard of it and I haven't seen it. And if anybody has heard of it or seen it, please, please send it to me. I will love to examine it and I will do a deep dive, not only discussion on it, but I'll do a deep dive paper, um, you know, some sort of written paper on it and, and talk about it. Um, but you know, the fact that it'll only be one paper, if somebody can find it speaks volumes, right. About where we are. And so the living corporate network, for those of you who are unfamiliar with living corporate, 
Um, and I think, Arena, I think I've seen you on here before, but, you know, we really focus on amplifying the voices and experiences, right, of uh, black and brown professionals um, within the workplace. And so what I do um, is that's what I do. I specifically talk about my experience as it relates to what I am seeing out in um, specifically the business community, a lot of what I see because LinkedIn is the social media platform for the business community, I find there, but I get a lot of my, you know, news and research right from places like, um, you know, the economic times and, um, you know, Bloomberg and things like that, right. To, to kind of make sure I'm still tracking with, you know, what they're reporting out. But the other thing to take note of, right, is how it's imperative to think about where power comes from and where power resides and how power is positioned in our country. Because we have to look at that first and foremost when we think about, oh, we want to try to get equity and we want to try to get equality. Well, the thing is, the people who have access, right, are purposefully holding on to access. And so there are no efforts that they are going to themselves sanction to then decrease their access and give it to people that they never wanted to have it in the first place. And so it's interesting, you know, I never took a... Uh, a job in an organization where I was going to have any kind of title in the DEI space or within, you know, HR or, or human capital or anything like that, people operations, because I've always known from an early, early part in my career, I've always known that, um, you know, there is not really a role, right, for how employees are going to get to shape how a company decides to do anything. The way that business works, the way that hierarchy works, the way that slave plantations work is that you have a boss. That boss, that person has all the other people working for them to uphold, abide by, and stick to whatever rules they deem necessary in order to get the goals that they're trying to reach. It doesn't matter what those goals are. It doesn't matter how much money or how many widgets. That is how it works. And so... If we get very basic and we use a simple metaphor like a farm and you have the person who owns the farm and he lives on the farm, depending on how far the farm is from town or from workers, right? He may have a place for the workers to live there. If not, he has a place to pick up his workers. Now, I'm using a farm example because I live in a farm community. So in some farms, what I see is they have a big house where they live. Then they have a stable and a bunch of uh, housing for the animals, or we call shelter, I guess, for animals. And then they have shelter for 
workers. They bring the workers there in trucks and things. And then the workers do the work. And some stay and some get back on trucks. On some farms, the workers actually drive there, drive to the fields, right? Or drive to certain locations and then they meet in a truck and then they drive them to the field where they're going to be working. There are wineries where I am. There are alfalfa and sprout fields. There are um, all kind of things. Fruit patches. There's all kind of farms where I live. And so the farmer, right? Let's call them Person Jones, Farmer Jones, right? Runs the farm. Farmer Jones hires people in different departments. And he hires people in different hierarchies. If Farmer Jones is just doing a dairy farm, then he's hiring the supervisor. And the supervisor is hiring the people to do different parts of the job. From the milking to the, you know, pasteurization processes to the transport to the bottling to whatever, right? That's how it works. Now, if the workers decide that the you know they don't like something that the farmer says to them the farmer's going to say okay we'll leave and the worker's going to say well I can't leave cuz I need this job to pay for my family and so then the worker's going to take the abuse right now that's a very you know simple example right and we're not taken into into consideration technology or laws or anything like that but that's literally how it works and so the farmer farmer jones running the farm it being his farm he gets to decide whatever the hell he wants to and if you don't like his farm you can leave you can get a job on another farm oh but there's only one farm in 100 miles of my house well then i guess what then you're gonna take the abuse you're going to take the abuse. And that is exactly how it works. And that is exactly why, right, when you think about a power structure, having power over a group of people, having power, leveraging power, the dynamic of that, why would they give up that power? And why would they do it in formalized roles and formalized structures? So why would we think that 26 years later, Perfect. And you know you how to jump back in later. You just hit that link and keep going. I got this. I got it. So when you think about, right, how power works, take take care. Thank you. When you think about how power works, right, you know that you're not going to get them to do anything by asking nicely. You're not going to get them to do anything by petitioning in a kind way. The whole reason that police were created the whole reason that government was created was to protect business. Government wasn't created so that workers could 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 be free off of the plantation. Governors, government, governors, senators, congresspersons, all of those peoples, mayors, sheriffs, judges, they were all created to protect business. Laws are in place to protect business. And business was put in place because that was how the Europeans could steal America. 
business. And so then they propped up that business with what they called treaties. And none of the treatises, none of them were kept. Straight up, Europeans stole the Americas from Indian Americans, native Indians. And we know that's what happened. Everybody knows what happened. But what has happened over time, how did we get to this thing where we have said that we can't talk about truth? We can't talk about numbers. We can't talk about facts. We can't talk about history. Well, listen, I tell people all the time, I, I'm just figuring out one of the things that makes me a bold, brilliant, badass black woman is because I was brought up by bold, brilliant, badass black woman, women. My teachers, first grade, second grade, I only was in second grade two weeks. That bold ass black teacher said, this girl is, is too beyond second grade. We got to bump her up to third grade. Then I was in third grade. They was like, we need to move her to fourth grade. I said, I'm not getting moved up. I'm not going to be seven years old going to school with 10 year olds. I always, I had to fight anyway. So I wasn't trying to fight people that were bigger, bigger than me. Okay. And so who is going to give up power without a fight? All of the structures in our country, all of the structures in Western world, because I don't, I haven't studied enough about Eastern governments. So I don't even talk about things I don't know about. And y'all who know me know, I don't talk about stuff I don't know about. So Western governments, right, are set up in feudal systems, set up in monarchs. And our system now is more of an oligarch because we have like, you know, a thousand people that run everything in our country. It's a thousand people that are in control. Some of them are CEOs. Some of them have titles and, and weird little jobs that we don't know. But it's basically the 1,000 richest people that run everything. And unfortunately, Rihanna, Jay-Z, and Beyonce, they not on the list. They don't run nothing. They have a lot of money. But we all know money is a system, right? And it's not even real. But the point is that the people in power who get to have everything, who get to say this is how things go, those people are not going to set up formalized structures to overcome themselves. Those people are not going to set up formalized structures to give themselves less power. Those people are not going to set up full-on industries in order to tear themselves down and to relinquish what they have. And so, you know, I am so annoyed with LinkedIn because they so full of shit. But it doesn't matter, right? Because everybody is full of shit. Because everybody's in business to keep business and keep their money and keep their power. And I know that. I, I damn sure, sure well know that because I am a 53-year-old black lady and I have been working since 1984. I've had my first job in 1984 working for an insurance company, implementing a fax machine, and then implementing that business process into the organization and how they interacted with the state of Pennsylvania how they interacted with, uh, you know, other agencies, right, for people's licenses and auto insurance, homeowners insurance, and all this stuff. We we did that in order to 
make things flow easier, but ultimately, right, it was for the business to do better, for the business to run more seamless, for the business to run in a more uh, profitable way, right? And I did such a good job in my first job, which, you know, I'm super proud of. I did such an amazing job at that job that I came back the next summer and redid his filing system and matched up his filing system to coordinate with the processes that we had put in place for how to use the fax machine to, uh, you know, get things done in a quicker way. And then, right, on top of that, um, the other thing was, I did such a great job that Mr. Parker also um, referred me to a daycare center to get a fax machine. Um, and then I uh, got another daycare center after that um, and, and helped them reorganize everything. And it was this woman, because I had helped her organize her first daycare center, she was able to uh, open a second one and hired me for that and then referred me to a business partner of hers. They actually opened a third one. Um, but by then I was out of school and um, I didn't have time to come back to work. But it just goes to show you, right, that um, business is in business to make money. And people who run businesses, right, are in business because they uh, have something that they're trying to do. And they're doing that thing um, to make money. And so every business that's out here, every nonprofit, the person that is running it is making money. The person running it is making money and it is their hope, right? And because of capitalism that they will make so much money and they do that a lot of times by paying everybody as little as they possibly can. Now me, I didn't do that and um, <laughs> I don't believe in that. I believe you get what you pay for and I believe paying people uh, the value of their work and, um, and, and sometimes that can be tricky. But I can tell you for 100% sure that it is not a good business practice as a leader to just be like, okay, well, I'm gonna just go in there and make all the money I can and I don't give a shit, you know, if my people working for me are destitute or not. And unfortunately, right, that's what happens. So what I wanna do real quick is I want to um, talk about a couple of statistics. And what I did was I put two links in the chat. So for those of you who listen to this for the first time, you can, this is a persistent chat, this is a community, and we can continue having conversations on this topic. This is part one of dissecting the data. I'm gonna challenge you to go in and look at the data so that when I talk about part two, um, you know, we can get into it in, in, a little more in a little more depth. But I use LinkedIn specifically because as you know, um, right, LinkedIn is the platform for business professionals and LinkedIn is always trying to act like they they are about diversity, they're about this, they're about that. Well, in the last four weeks, since I have really ratcheted up my um, engagement on LinkedIn and very more so specifically since I made a post about Jane Elliott and about, you know, anti-blackness and, you know, being like Jane Elliott, right, in terms of speaking up for black people, I have been getting... Um, my posts blocked and banned and, and my profile is just constantly getting torn up and down. And, you know, I got a couple people from LinkedIn requesting to be friends with me or whatever. Like, okay, for what reason? Because LinkedIn is, is owned by Microsoft, as we all know. Uh, when these reports and things get done, right, they pay money to have the reports done. And the data is secretive. 
Nobody is really showing the data. They showing you the data that's the summary of what they want you to see. And the summary of what they want you to see is always going to say, oh, we could do better. We know you could do better, but you're choosing not to do better. And so I'm tired of that conversation. Dissecting the data. Here we go. So this is based on the percentage of employees with disabilities, the overall workforce, U.S. employees from LinkedIn, race and ethnicity. 40% of the overall workforce um, that are reporting that they have disabilities are white, 39% Asian, 6% Latino, 4.7 Black, 2.6 mixed race, uh, and 7% don't want to disclose. Okay. So they are saying that out of their workforce, which is 53% male, this is LinkedIn, right? That 4% of their disabled workforce is black. Okay. If you believe that, they saying also that, um, their workforce, non-tech workforce, right, is 7.5% black. Okay. They're also saying that their leadership is 3.9% black. What is the definition of any of that? What's it mean? What does leadership mean? What are those jobs? How many people have them? How old are the people? Where do they live? What's their background? Disabled. What does that mean? Right? It's, it's self-reported disabilities. How many people is it? How many people? What is the number of employees? All they're giving you is percentages. So I could say I am 4%. Of, I don't even know what to say. I'm 4% of royal, royal Nigerian, um, I don't know, some kind of Bantu blood or something. I don't know. I can't even think of something. I'm trying to think of something so silly that you can't prove just by me saying it or writing it down. How can you prove anything? So then if you read the details, it say, uh, like, I don't even know, like, okay. So on page seven, the editor's note says we reported representation as a percentage of the workforce self-identifying aligning to Microsoft. We now report representation based on the total workforce population, inclusive of those who choose not to identify if tolling old. And, and then they talk about this, this nonsense about if they total people who don't want to identify who put people who do, who doesn't want to identify is people who don't want to get singled out for more discrimination. So nobody wants to fill out that they're black on a piece of paper because you know you're going to get paid less. I'm going to leave it right there. The data, it's nothing to dissect because the data is bullshit. Because nobody is going to give data that shows that they are doing something wrong and that they've been doing it wrong for as long as I know, 26 years. They've been doing it wrong from the beginning. Right. So we have forced labor in this country. We had enslaved human beings. We had indentured servitude in this country. That has evolved. And now 
right? Depending on who you work for, right? You are at a different level of indentured servitude, but we all pay taxes. Who, why, who are we paying taxes to? For what? We paying taxes to the government to protect the rich and powerful people. The data, when it comes to DEI, I don't care what you're talking about. Housing, discrimination. I don't care if you're talking about mortgage, you know, rates. I don't care if you're talking about car insurance. I don't care if you're talking about schools. I don't care if you're talking about how come you can't get a grocery store. Is no grocery stores in a black neighborhood unless it is a low budget grocery store. And it's usually owned by a black or Asian person. If it's in a big city, but there's no Trader Joe's in low income neighborhoods. So only white people get to take advantage of buying groceries at those prices. Listen, y'all, the data is all bullshit. The data is bullshit. We got to dissect the problem. The problem is anti-blackness and people hate black people. People don't want black people to have equality. So everybody will climb over black people's head to get what they got. Black people are disabled. Black people are queer. Black people are old. Black people are young. Black people are poor. Black people are tall. Black people are short. Black people are fat. Black people are skinny. What else? Black people are born. Black people die. But know what's different? Black people get paid less and black women get paid the least. That's intentional. It's traumatizing. So what's the result? Black women are leaving the workforce in droves. The mentorship program I'm in is specifically for black women entrepreneurs that's trying to go to seven, making seven figures and beyond or trying to get to their first seven figures and beyond. Because we already know that the world hates us. We know that the Western world wants to climb over on our backs and use us as the workhorse. That's why we need to dump DEI and anti, uh, alleviate anti-blackness. Because DEI doesn't work. DEI is the same old, same old. What we have to do is get to the core. We got to dig deep and we got to alleviate anti-blackness. Alleviating anti-blackness is a whole ass thing. And alleviating anti-blackness, it starts First and foremost, with unpacking it. And nobody wants to unpack nothing in this damn country. Everybody wants to stay blind, uh, blind, blind, and and deaf and mute. Why? Because it's easier? Because it's easier. So when we going to care about black people enough to do something? When we going to care about the overall condition of the, the society of the world of the of our community to stop to to unlearn this uh, to unpack this anti-blackness because we got to unpack it first and once we unpack it then we can unlearn it but we got to unpack it so unpacking it starts with looking at who the hell we are and what do we believe about black people if we are a black people if we are a black person if we are black and if you blackity black, 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 like I am, I don't have to question nothing. I love black people and I understand and I don't blame black people for their condition. But at the same time, right, this, this, there's people that, that Harriet, you know, um, you know, helped escape to freedom. And there's people that she would have shot because they was getting away of her freedom. And guess what? If you're not down for my freedom, I'm not down for you. 
And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one way or the other down for, um, skitting and grinning. And I'm not down for pretending something is working that it's not. Everybody knows DEI doesn't work. Everybody knows it's a dump. It's a trash dump. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Nobody is going to give the oppressor, the, the oppressed, no oppressor is going to get an oppressed equality, equity, inclusion, belonging, none of it. Because guess where they think we belong? In the damn fields. When I was in sixth grade, I went to a white school. The name of the school was Austin Meehan Middle School. And it was the feeder school to Lincoln High School, which is the school where a bunch of famous white Philadelphia people went to. Some black people went there too. Um, it's in an area of Philly that's Northeast Philly, known for extreme overt racism. I had so many racist attacks happen to me at that school. That was one of the places where I got into daily fights, at least weekly fights. I think I fought at least every week. And I was usually fighting boys, white boys, because they was always spitting at me or throwing something on me or talking shit or pulling my backpack or grabbing my skirt or whatever, just trying to hurt me in some kind of way. Well, one day we were having a class elections and I decided I was going to run for president. I damn sure was the smartest one in this class. I stood up. I gave my speech. I said, hi, my name is Vonda Page and I want to be the president. And this is the reason that I want to be the president. And as soon as I said, I want to be the president because... This kid stood up. His name was Richard Kaplan. He was about six inches shorter than I was. I was five feet one at the time, maybe five two. So he was about a good four, six, if that. He stood up and said, go back to the cotton fields where you belong. You don't belong here. I leaped across the desk. I grabbed Richard by his shoulders in trying to get to his neck. The teacher, Mrs. Purnell, she grabbed me. I felt her pulling me and I felt her pull me. She was about 5'10", you know, maybe about 180 pounds. So she was bigger than I was and she was pulling me back and I was scrapping and I was trying to go for Richard. I was trying to go for his throat. And I said to him, I belong anywhere I want to be. I don't belong in no cotton fields. And I said to him, what if I told you to go back to the gas chamber? And he started crying. And Miss Purnell put me down. Because I calmed down when I saw him crying. And I said, so if you don't belong in a gas chamber, why would I belong on a cotton field? And, um, you know, of course, I got sent to the principal's office and, you know, got told that, I, you know, I shouldn't have said that and this and that. Anti-Semitic, Semitic, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, he's being anti-black. He's being anti-black. Because... I didn't belong on the cotton fields. Nobody belongs on the cotton fields. And so I say all of that to say that anti-blackness is deeply threaded, deeply rooted in our Western culture and deeply rooted in America, who has a very specific history of breeding African human beings who they kidnapped, stole, abused, raped, killed, and threw many of them in the Atlantic Ocean to steal America from the native Indians. I'm not going to pretend that that didn't happen. And I don't care who listens and I don't care who doesn't want to hear it. Y'all won't listen. Those who know what I'm talking about, get it. And I want to invite you to join the movement, right? To dump DEI because it doesn't work. So check out these links. I want you to look out, look at this data and I'm going to come up with some questions 
um, that we can explore. But if you know any organizations out here that have some real data that they're willing to be transparent and share, I would love to dissect it. Thanks so much. This has been <laughs> Vonda Page, the Radical Results Mentor, CEO of Radical Change, the boutique badass change consultancy and coaching firm for leaders looking to level up and managers making moves. I want y'all to go to dumpdei.com to go to destination dump DEI live to learn about the event, but to learn a little bit about my philosophy about why DEI doesn't work and why we need to dump it. And Hey, I'm gonna catch you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Living corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y.